Why does something stay um, with you for so many years? Why do the tracking shots and pads of glory yeah. stay with you? Um, uh, it's really uh, a person with a very strong, powerful uh, storytelling uh, ability, uh, uh, talent, genius, um, uh, who could create a solid rock image mm. that has conviction. Yeah. And that, that is the image. What's in that frame stays in that frame. What isn't in the frame is out. And that's it. You have to compose within that frame. I didn't know he was a still photographer before. And I said, of course, the still photography, once you get that image, but then it moves. Still cameras don't move, you know? And yeah. so it had this right. extraordinary authority saying, look, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the story this way and you're going to see it this way. Three Films on a Podcast has no claim of ownership on any film footage used in this episode. All film footage is owned in its entirety by the copyright holders and is used solely with the intent of film criticism, commentary, and education under fair use law. And just like every car in Too Fast, Too Furious, this podcast contains spoilers. Enjoy! Welcome back to Three Films in a Podcast. This is a show where three friends challenge each other to broaden their cinematic horizons, through a series of themed rounds. My name is Matt Weiler, coming to you from Pleasant Grove, Utah, and I am joined, as always, by Ben Lawhorn up in Salt Lake City. Hello. And even further north, Tyler Beck in Portland, Oregon. That's me. Hello, everybody. For those new to the show, welcome to our movie club. What began as a movie club among us three in a group chat has evolved into a, a little community that we share with all of you um, here on the internet um, that we're happy you are a part of. So whether you are stumbling upon us by accident or you know us, thank you for tuning in. And today we're excited to welcome with us um, a guest. His name's Travis from Let the Movie Speak podcast. Hi, how's it going, everybody? Great to be here. Travis, thank you for joining us today. Uh, tell us a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, thanks so much uh, for having, having me on. Uh, Let the Movie Speak is uh, a movie kind of review podcast where we take a decade at a time for each season we pick a round of movies and we ask some questions that hopefully are a little a little bit off the beaten path of your normal movie podcast instead of like how many stars or thumbs ups or thumbs down or whatever yeah like what is this thing saying and is it worth your time and maybe like how often would i rewatch this so it's a little bit of a different take hopefully and uh we've got a lot of uh stuff already up ready to listen to and a lot more coming awesome yeah i, I like that uh the uh is it worth your time and how like what's the rewatch scale yeah. i like those two metrics that's yeah. cool yeah we always great. end up at like some weird comparison with like schindler's list because it's like schindler's, <laughs> <laughs> schindler's this is a great movie but i'm not watching it once a year you know like, <laughs> yeah so it's an interesting question to that's ask. our that's our new that's like the the metric now like the schindler <laughs> the schindler yep. line what side we're is stealing it that from you <laughs> that is now our segment it's all you can hide it's all yours. now we'll share it <laughs> yeah yeah um well uh, as you may know uh every time we have a guest on our show uh we go through a series of clubhouse questions uh to get allow us to get to know you a little better before we jump into the movie but also allow our audience to uh, get to know a little bit of you, your tastes, and uh, what you have uh, in your movie viewing experience. Uh, so we'll shoot. We'll just uh, pass it on over to Ben for his clubhouse question. I just like the idea of having people on from other podcasts just to steal an idea, just to like, <laughs> yeah. make our own yeah. podcast from like things that they do. It's like we'll take that. That's ours now. That's great. <laughs> um, Bye. 
<laughs> so the question I love asking people when I'm talking about movies is basically the desert island. You know, you can mm. you can ha- take the filmography of one director, one actor. You have, I don't know, some big projector and a big white screen hooked up to your palm trees. You can watch whatever you want. But yeah, I just want to know who, who you would take. You know, if they're still alive, you could you'll be sent the stuff they continue to make um, mm. if they're no longer with us. And obviously you're that's a closed loop right there that you got. So yeah, I'm just curious who would be your desert Island actor or director. Uh, I would go with director and I would cheat slightly because it's technically two directors, Joel and Ethan Cohen, um, because I don't know where you get more like variety almost. I mean, they have distinct voice and style, but like they do like the lady killers and then they do like blood simple. So like, no matter what you're in the mood for stuck on the island, I think you can, you can find it. And they didn't really have a bad movie in my opinion. Like even the yeah. stuff that's not like, like, like lauded by the Oscars is like what, like the Hudsucker proxy. That's a perfectly fun movie. Like yeah. I can throw that on. It's on for the kids. Island. Yeah. yeah it's, hey, it's for the kids. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, so I, the Coen brothers would be, would be a pretty easy pick. I, it would be hard to pick an actor because actors always have like big time stinkers somewhere, you know, like, there's, yeah. there's very few actors who it's are true. like batting a thousand or whatever. It's funny because that's where I thought you were going with this. The cheat, I was like, oh, I've never thought of that before. Like, if you take, I mean, I guess he didn't do much movie acting, but like Ron Howard or something like someone that's yeah. been on Clint Eastwood, I think might be a good answer. Yeah, yeah that's I a mean, good answer. You need to have a very specific taste in movies, I think, if you want to <laughs> yeah. Clint Eastwood. But plus, then you get Grand Torino, and I'm like, whoops, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, no, that's awesome. I think, I mean, we're all fans of the Coens here, like very big. Very uh, Lebowski friendly pod over here. Yeah, so that's right. I yeah. know that's that's what would get worn out on my island. So, yeah, that's awesome. I love yeah. it. Any pick that gets me the big Lebowski. That's yeah, fine. Well, wait, let me let me explain something to you. Um, I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me, you know, uh, that or uh, his dudeness or uh, Duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. A lot of ins, a lot of outs, a <laughs> lot of strands in Old Duder's noggin. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> Any excuse I have to put in a clip of Big Lebowski into an episode, I'm, I'm all about. So thank you so for good. that. I, I try to give you as many excuses as I can, Ben. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you to our guest, Travis, for doing it this time. No problem. Um, yeah. Got out of the way early. We're good. <laughs> so I'm curious to know, like, you know, especially with uh, movie theaters having been closed for so long. And I think our experiences watching movies are very like personal and intimate now. And by which I mean, like just at your house, you know, not sure. with people. <clears throat> so I'm curious if you have a, a moment, uh, movie experience that you remember that stands out like a favorite movie experience. Like, uh, just as an example, like the last movie I think I saw in theaters was, um, Avengers Endgame, And when cap catches the hammer, the place went just crazy, you know, and that, you know, moments like that stick out. So I'm curious if you have something like that, that sticks out to you. So, uh, um, my personal one is, I think, this isn't like the last thing I saw by any means, but I saw the Coen's true grit in theaters. Mm. Oh and, yeah. And that's like a perfect movie to me. Yeah. Um, and there's this like sequence near the end where he's carrying, um, he's carrying the, the girl, the lead yeah. girl mm-hmm. in his arms and she's dying of a snake bite and he has to shoot her horse in the middle of a, like yeah. a, like moonlit field. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, 
coming into my own as a movie nerd at that point, realizing like, I'm never going to stop loving movies. Yeah. (laughs) um, And so I remember like when that happens in the movie, it's so like sudden, but also like, you just know, like this is happening. Um, and if I remember right, the horse is like worn out from riding too hard. Right. Yeah. Yeah, He just had to like stick it with his knife to keep it going. It's so brutal. Yeah. It's such a great scene. I remember that like very specifically as well. The Carter Burwell score is like, it'll Mm -hmm. just, it'll get you. Yeah. Um, and the theater just got like dead silent. You know what I mean? And this is not like a hoot and this is an end game or something, right? This (laughs) this is like, you know, some great adaptation of a, a prestige movie that already happened. Um, but, uh, that was great. I remember that, like, I remember watching that in theaters and being like, I need to watch that again, like tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, and then a sub, a sub, uh, answer would be, I got to take my kids to the drive-in to see Raiders of the Lost Ark. Super fun. First time they've seen it and they get to see it at a drive-in, which just felt perfect. Uh, and so they, you know, they had some questions. It was their first, (laughs) uh, but, (laughs) but so much fun. So much fun. That's awesome. That's, nice little cool. slice of Americana there. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I like your uh, <clears throat> true grit answer because typically the answers we get and the ones that I personally think of are the more uh, raucous moments, right? Yeah. Uh, or the moments where the the vibe in the theater is more like excited and electric and like a in the buzzy sort of way as of, as opposed to like that like tense nervous sort of buzz um so i think that's cool that's that's a great moment and and i remember that moment specifically in that movie as well and in fact outside of like the showdown in the cabin in the canyon i can't really remember too much about that movie otherwise so yeah yeah same page oh man i i love true grit um this is gonna sound stupid but there's a moment in that movie they're in the woods and like that the people who are pursuing rooster cogburn like just like screaming his name in the woods there's that guy he's just like like phlegms coming out of his mouth. He's like, Rooster! <laughs> and it was like, Terry Pepper. Yeah. 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 And uh, I just remember thinking, like, this is not going to be a popular take, but like, I already love this more than the original True Grit. So, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I my dad's say- so pissed at you right now. <laughs> All my dad's everywhere. Okay. Yeah. 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 My mom just turned Sorry, this off. She's like, Oh, you're going to diss John Wayne like that? Like, I'm done. Um, well, I mean, I was going to say, I feel like this belongs in like the remake Hall of Fame. Like, this is one where I would choose the remake over it, which doesn't happen often. But I think yeah. this one is is great. And it's a weird exercise. And like, I don't think we needed a new true grit, but like, no. I'm. In the end, I'm glad it happened. You know, I wonder yeah. mm-hmm. if if anyone else had made it, if, if I'd feel the same way, because uh, I'm a pretty big Coen Brothers fan myself. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's really like remarkable. It's really an, it's an adaptation of the book more than the first movie is. You sure. Know what I mean? It's like yeah. the first movie. I never goes, read the book, so I guess I don't know. But yeah, it it's just it's rougher. You know, the movie has more of a sheen to it and it's just a John Wayne vehicle. It's fine. Like, it's not bad by any means. Uh, but the Coen brothers were like, you know, adapting the source material and mm. it, it shows. I think it's a little purer in some ways. Nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, my question uh, is a few rounds ago, uh, we, we had been had the idea of doing a round where each of us select an unsung gem. And what an unsung gem is, it's a movie that you like that you either feel like gets very underappreciated by pretty much everybody around you or is just severely underrated. Like maybe people have seen it, but you just feel like they don't get it. And what would that movie be for you? I have a pretty recent one, actually. Um, If you've seen any like Nora Ephron movies, like, you know, Sleepless in Seattle Mm -hmm. or You've Got Mail. um, uh, I think she wrote she wrote When Harry Met Sally, right? Even though Rob Mm -hmm. Reiner directed it. 
I just watched a bunch of those like three in a row, those three. Um, but then I heard of this one that's super weird and it's called mixed nuts. <laughs> yes. Oh no. Oh yes. my God. This, this is, is unbelievable. Seriously. This is so good. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like, uh, I, <laughs> the I synergy. Want- Okay. I'm going to cry. So good. This is perfect. <laughs> I'm going to cry. I loved mixed nuts. It's so good. I mean, like Madeline Kahn and Steve Martin doing like kind of a straight man, like not, not crazy, like wild and crazy guys team. I don't know, man, everything about that to me, the fact that it's clearly adapted from a play, like a super small location mm-hmm. and everybody's character work is so fun. And I don't know, man, it's just so zany and nuts and like a Christmas movie. I never knew again. I never knew I needed, but now I'm going to watch it every single year. Like no question. <laughs> and cut to stepbrothers, best friend scene. What did we just become best friends? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> For Matt and Travis. This is beautiful. Travis, you saved a life tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to clarify to anybody listening, like, <laughs> I forgot to send the questions to Travis. So he had no like idea what was coming until like five minutes ago. So the fact that this was Matt's pick for our round of unsung gems. And oh, then wow. you just said that it was just like, you, it could not be have, more perfect. This was the movie that tattoo. Like, do you have a tattoo of Madeline Kahn? I need one. It's Sandler. I need one that says, what can I do you for? Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. Sandler's perfectly used in that movie too. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. yeah. Just enough and just the right amount of nuts. I Leo like. Shriver. He had my like favorite everyone. moment in the whole movie. Yeah, it's really fun. Wow. Oh my God, that's I, I love that like, so much. Respect oh, to everyone that's been on here and giving us this answer, but this is, I think, just the best answer we've <laughs> oh, ever got. Yeah. I'm so happy. He's just, I mean, he's tickling all of our backs. He's saying Cohen Brothers, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Nick's nuts. I'm like, just waiting okay. for some Ferris comment to come up before we're yeah. done. Like, all right, cool. This is- it doesn't count if you prompt it like that. Oh, man. that's oh. true. All right. I'll think of something else. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. That's, that's amazing. That's great. Yeah, Should we're we not gonna. Cut? That was the not, best. Yeah, we're not gonna do better than that. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're uphill. It's all downhill from here, right? Or that's what, right. How's the yeah. go? <laughs> Great. Uh, well, we loved those answers. Um, we're we're happy to have you in the clubhouse. And without further ado, we'll jump into the regular part of our episode. Um, and every time I'm hosting, I always ask the listeners to close their eyes for this part. Uh, hopefully they're not driving, but even if they are, <laughs> close your eyes for a second. Come what may. And just, so yeah. control. <laughs> hopefully you drive a Tesla. Yeah. The year is 1975 and you find yourself at the movies. And while you're tempted to check out the man who would be king or Sherlock Holmes, smarter brother, you're dying to see what Stanley Kubrick has up his sleeve after seeing a clockwork orange a few years back. We today are covering the 1975 multi-Oscar winner, Barry Lyndon. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, as I wasn't, we, we did this uh, Stanley Kubrick round. We're wrapping it up. And I had, to f- I had to scroll through his filmography to find either ones that I hadn't seen or ones that I, that I just felt like were you know, interesting enough to, to pull off the shelf. Came around to Barry Lyndon. I saw that it had a high Rotten Tomato score. It... Uh, yeah, like I said, won a bunch of Academy Awards. I did not see that it was three hours long. <laughs> and the one detail you missed. The one detail I missed. And then Oops. after viewing like the trailer, like gearing up for it, I knew immediately that this was going to be a very long experience. Um, 
And so uh, Travis actually posed this question before we jumped on here. Did any of us watch this in one sitting? Uh, kinda. I took multiple breaks throughout the day. Then I took like a two hour break to make dinner. So you saw in one calendar day. Yes. But not in one. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I did not. I it's probably better than I yeah, did. Yeah. I, I made an hour and fifteen and then I went the rest of it the next day. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a right. long haul, even for that second two thirds. I think I did about like about the same, like an hour and change, and then and then kind of parsed it out throughout the rest of the day today. If yeah. I'd known there'd been an intermission, maybe I would have like shot for that. But right. yeah, so anyone who hasn't watched it yet, you can get to the intermission and then take a break. Yeah, it's a great spot to end. Travis, had you seen this movie before? No, I've. It's always been on my list, but like you know, three hours and like lots of powdered wigs and. Tr- Icorn hats and it's like, <laughs> yeah. it bumps itself for a few reasons. Like sure. that, that's just a shallow, but it's true. Um, so no, I hadn't seen it before. I'd seen enough Kubrick to know that, you know, I should probably watch this, you know, but mm-hmm. I hadn't gotten around to it at this point. Yeah. Well, what was your overall impression of it? So I think like it's objectively pretty, you know, there's no question like Kubrick's not going to put something in a movie if it doesn't look kind of spotless you know the symmetry and the the the, obviously the his quest in this film to do everything by purely natural light with no no added light is insane like Mm -hmm. i mean like that's a that's a that's a death warrant that you're signing yourself (laughs) and so like it's a feat like it it won what cinematography art direction and Mm -hmm. you know costume or something like that um yeah yeah art direction costume and music score yeah, those are all like very warranted. I feel like I don't know yeah. how you, I don't know how you beat the movie that didn't use any light bulbs. And <laughs> look this good. Like it's just crazy. Story wise, you know, I think it has the same Kubrick uh, feel as a lot of his other things, where he like really centers on one person, and that person is not good. You know, not likable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't think he cares. Kubrick Kubrick doesn't care if you like his protagonist. He's trying to make like clinical sharp pointed you know uh, narrative comments despite that so i think he succeeds in that regard um but because like it's not my favorite aesthetic it doesn't like look as spooky as the shining or make me laugh as much as 2001 uh, not 2001 um strange love or mm. like just blow your mind with you know space with 2001 a space odyssey it's 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 definitely good like i can't say it's not good but it's a hard movie to love because it's so long. Um, it's kind of crackly dry at times. And there's, there's not a lot of people in there to latch on to, you know, character wise for me, but, but it looks great. I mean, of course it looks great. Yeah. That essentially echoes all my sentiments. This is the first time I watched it as well. And in fact, I don't even know that I'd heard of it until it came up to do this episode and just on the name and just who the director is. I was like, Oh, it's probably some like, weird business movie like a wall street type movie like i for some reason i pictured guys in business suits and like something to do with like i have i don't no idea where i like like gary glenn ross sure yeah something along those lines like you know more along the lines of like what he had done with the killing or i i honestly have no idea where i got that picture in my head from uh obviously that's not the case um (laughs) and you know like I mean, my as far as my overall thoughts, like I didn't love it, you know, but I didn't hate it. Uh, I don't know that I'll ever watch it again, but it was gorgeous. <laughs> like like you said, it was 
absolutely gorgeous. Um, maybe one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen as far as just cinematography is concerned. Um, and, you know, I respect it for all the achievements uh, that it made as far as the filmmaking is concerned. Um, going through the IMDb trivia, <clears throat> they used a specially made 50 millimeter Zeiss lens with oh, yeah. an F.7 aperture, which is a fun little in joke for Ben and I. But that's like I can't yes. like I can't even believe how difficult it would have been to shoot that scene on that shallow of an, of an aperture like. The depth of field is is literally nothing. Like it's hard enough right. to shoot a portrait with like an yeah. 85 millimeter lens all the way open, you know? Um, so there's a ton of stuff like that that I really respect about it, but uh, you know, like I'm and I'm glad I watched it. I will say that. Like I think yeah. it's the purpose of this podcast and this exploration club is to make ourselves watch movies like this because there's about, I don't know, however many <clears throat> movies long Kubrick's filmography is. Uh, there is that many movies ahead of this one that I would watch again. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So I'm glad I saw it, but you know, it, it, it was what it was. I can respect it for what it was. Yeah. For me to put it in the context of a long time running segment here on three films pod, it would not pass my Schindler list test. Um, <laughs> we've established that from the beginning. Something Everyone knows we've what been that doing is, but every episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I will say I want to watch it again now that I've seen it like and I know what's coming just to see what else I could get out of it. But after that, I don't know that I have a huge desire like it. I think it's never a good sign when I finish a movie and my first thought is like, oh, cool. I'm just like one step closer to being a completionist on Kubrick's (laughs) films. Like only got two left. Like that's a weird way to look at a movie like, well, that's out of the way. Let's move on. So, but I mean, that, that kind of was it. Like, again, echo everything you guys said. It's beautiful. One thing I thought was really interesting, Travis, that you said that I hadn't thought about before is that, I mean, Kubrick so many times, like we don't love our protagonist, which is kind of crazy. And mm-hmm. we just talked about Paths of Glory last week. And I'm like, man, is that kind of the only time Kubrick's done like a morally good protagonist? Because, you know, we do the killing and, you know, mm-hmm. they're doing the robbery. you got The Shining. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 2001, just all these other movies. I'm like, man, maybe, I wonder if that's the only real time we've seen someone who, like, we can agree with, you know. But I don't know. That, that's interesting. I think it was a really good point that I just hadn't really considered before. And it, that is that does make a protagonist really interesting when you don't necessarily agree with everything that they do. But we're with them the whole time. So I don't know. I'm glad I watched it. I'll probably watch it one more time. But after that, like, I don't know that I would need to to see it again. But I guess I cross it off, you know? Yeah. Onto Lolita and Spartacus. <laughs> How Which would you, I'll oh. admit, I didn't know Kubrick made Spartacus. I had no idea until have literally you, today when I was looking through IMDb. Have you seen Spartacus? No. Oh, okay. Spartacus is great. I haven't seen yeah, it in really want a long to. time. It's three hours and 17 minutes. So strap in, fellas. Oh, man. <laughs> but I mean, it's got Kirk Douglas. So there you go. Yeah, that buys you at least 17 minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so how, how would, how would you guys explain this movie to someone and why should somebody watch it? Tyler. Oh, tough question for me (laughs) (laughs) only because, you know, like I said, I didn't really love the movie very much and it's not so much that I hated it. Uh, but if someone were to ask me, Hey, I don't know what Kubrick movie to watch. Uh, there's no way I would recommend this one unless it was like, maybe if it was like my sweet 
grandmother or something you know i've got the like, perfect movie for you grandma this might be okay for her it's a little more tame than the rest of his movies you know there's obviously some stuff in here but um you know and like like i on that note it's my taste you know my tastes are not the same as everyone's um so i guess it's to say why someone would watch it personally i would just say just for the cinematography of it um it's at least like an interesting story to the degree that i didn't turn it off you know like I at least kind of wanted to know what was going to happen. Um, but <clears throat> I don't know. If I, like all I could think of the whole time when I was watching this thing is like, I just wish this was Lord of the Rings. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if I'm going to watch someone go out on a quest and it's going to be three hours and it's going to be a cinematic achievement and it's going to be pretty, I just for my money, just give me the Lord of the Rings. You know, I'll just watch that again. <laughs> but for sure. um, yeah, that's, that's all I could really say about it. Just why <laughs> someone should watch it. It's pretty. Where are you Ben? Um, if I had to explain this movie to someone, I would use the immortal words of Canadian poet Abby Graham and say, we started from the bottom. Now we hear because <laughs> I think that's basically just what the movie is. It's someone who like starts out with nothing and works his way up. So, um, but it looks cool. You know, a lot of yeah. cool shots, a lot of like um, reimagining actual paintings and stuff, which is awesome. So um yeah i don't know like like i mentioned last time too i I don't know how much i would recommend it unless i knew someone really loved like period pieces that kind of a thing if that was their jam i'd recommend it or if like me and i just wanted to be a completionist with kubrick you know like they just like you know knocking everything out from a director other than that i don't know you know if if someone said hey what's a kubrick i should watch I mean, I might suggest the two I haven't seen before this one. Cause I'm like, I don't know, like Lolita's probably okay. I don't, I have no idea, but um, I would, yeah, I'd probably be in my, in my lower half for sure for Kubrick. So I don't know, but, but those are my thoughts on, on this. What are you, Travis? Um, I would explain it uh, to a modern audience as Stanley Kubrick does Hamilton a little bit. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that. There's a lot of parallels. Um, if you care for like looking for those things, narrative structure, it's like the duel at the beginning, the duel at the end, mm-hmm. obviously the whole like get up, right. The, uh, the era and aesthetic of it looks the same. Uh, but it's like, if you sucked all the fun and <laughs> fancy out of Hamilton and you just watched like a guy make mistake after mistake after mistake, yeah. Um, and just be, fall and, his way to the top y- yeah and then back <laughs> down again you know what i mean yeah. like it, yeah um it, it it it's definitely for kubrick completionists i don't think it's for someone who's seen the shining once and loved the shining you know what yeah I mean? like, yeah don't that, follow that feels like this that feels like a hard shift you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, if you like if you like this period of drama kubrick does a great job with it um mm-hmm. and uh it, it also has you, you, you have to be OK with just that slow Kubrick march towards the end of this isn't going to end well, like this is not yeah. going to end well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It just it feels like every other Kubrick movie, which is a good thing because it's just, it, this is really his stamp. You know, like the movie ends and it's like dread from scene one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you get that in this movie, even though it's filtered through the lens of like beautiful oil painting compositions and characters that are speaking very properly and whatnot and you know like even like the sex and the violence is like very in line with what makes sense for this you know novel you know essentially yeah um and so like 
if you like that stuff, that aesthetic and, and you also, I don't know what the Venn diagram is. You guys, people who love pride and prejudice and like, <laughs> uh, the Patriot by Mel Gibson, and like, <laughs> and they love Kubrick. I guess this is for them. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah. Whatever that Venn diagram is that little That's, sliver. I don't I think I a, hated the Patriot. I only saw it once, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, he I, that one? I think it was what I expected of it. He's ledgers in that. Yeah. That one. Yeah. Um, I mean, I forgot to mention, I was gonna say earlier that the first half of this might be like recency bias, but it reminded me of solo from us watching that where it's like mm. a guy who kind of just like works his way into whatever he can to get out of his current predicament. So if you want like a boring Han Solo movie or like a non action <laughs> Han Solo, like this is kind of it, you know, it's like, if oh, you I'm want your Chewbacca to be an effeminate gambler, <laughs> yeah, an exactly. effeminate can do that, Irish so. gambler pretending to be yeah. a Frenchman. Yes, Barry <laughs> does shoot Greedo like halfway through. Yeah, that, yeah. that is true. He did shoot first. The recut yeah. left it, so I think it's the best thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just thought about that. It's like, oh, this is like, yeah. He's just like, uh, how can I get out of this jam? I'll join another jam. <laughs> you know, just like slowly working his way through. But yeah, yeah. I would explain it similarly uh, with other others in that I guess unique genre of protagonists who have come from nothing and transcended class and like become something like Les Miserables and Count of Monte Cristo only 20 or 30 times boring, more boring than those. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah. And like everyone's already said, if if the story doesn't buy you in, you have to love that time era and art and film to really want to get through this based on uh, what we've seen from Kubrick. Now, what were some of the Kubrick isms uh, that you could pick out from this film, Ben? Um, I mean, I won't speak on it too much because I feel like you guys would probably speak on it better. But I, honestly, a lot of it just comes down to the shot composition. I think he's just get a, you get a wide, really wide establishing shot of whatever room they're in, and maybe a time when a a different director would like cut closer to the conversation. We just stay back mm-hmm. and hang out and watch it. Um, and then the extreme of that is like the super close ups. You know, where, like we're right on these people's faces. So to me, I mean, I think it's just a Kubrick. You know, that's his style, I think. So it's a really basic answer, but, you know, I own it. That's who I am. So, <laughs> yeah, I know I, I, I loved I love his devotion to the projects that he that he works on. Um, I mean, it didn't win, you know, Academy Awards for nothing. It it, it got, you know, the costume, the music, the his work on the lighting was just insane. Uh, like you said, like the long shots, the close ups that that choking slash heart attack scene from sir charles linden at the table mm. like i was gasping for air yeah just watching it happen it's like anyone any filmmaker that can like make you feel those things like mm-hmm. is is doing like really awesome uh creating there um what about you tyler uh for me like i feel like with kubrick the thing i'm noticing is he has like a lot of patience in the way he tells his stories because everything builds sort of slowly. There's no big jumps into anything. It's just sort of like things are bubbling up. Things are happening. You can see where things are going. And then all of a sudden you're in it. It's not like you jump into the moment. It's just like, oh shit, we're here. And in this movie, the example I can think of is uh, <clears throat> the, like the way that the, 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 uh, the fight scene in the piano recital when Barry just goes, you know, bananas on his, uh, his stepson, Mm -hmm. uh, just because, you know, everything up to that point was so reserved. 
And you could feel a tension, obviously, in their relationship, the, the, the relationship of those two men. Um, and you could feel the tension of like Barry's life slipping away, his his wealth and his power and everything slipping away. And so it's just he has such like a restraint on the way that he like pushes that forward. He pushes those those themes and those tensions forward. And then all of a sudden you're in it and you're dealing with it and then it's kind of over. And that's like, you know, it reminds me of the shining a lot. Like it's a slow build. He's not just like all of a sudden crazy. It's just crazier and crazier and crazier and crazier. And then he's dead in the hedge maze, you know, (laughs) like, yeah. So I, for me, that was probably, and then, um, the unlikable protagonist, that's something I've, I've picked up for sure. And in this movie specifically, because at least like, in all the other Kubrick movies I've seen, the the protagonists are not good guys, but for whatever reason, their their charisma and their charm you you like them for whatever mm. reason. You can at least like you're okay hanging out with them, you know. You know to keep them arm's length, but like you don't. They don't. They're not as off putting as I felt uh, our boy Barry to be. I just did not. <laughs> I couldn't stand him. I didn't like him the whole time. I thought he was whiny and. Just, I don't know. He just bugged me. So yeah, you never wanted him to succeed. Yeah. Well, it's not even that. It's just like, I don't know. He just was a bummer to hang out with at least like, (laughs) yeah, at least in the shining, like freaking Jack's like fun to hang out with. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'd throw a ball on a wall with him. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But like Barry, like get me out. I would have like, whatever. I don't know. I just didn't like him. So, uh, yeah, the unlikable protagonist for sure is, is another another uh theme a kubrickism <laughs> what about you travis any kubrickisms we're missing um i don't want to brush over anything that's already been said but yeah like the the dread you know from scene one yeah. even though this isn't like i'm gonna get killed by some ethereal force like the shining or you know even in full metal jacket it's like the slow march towards war mm. um i'm gonna die you know um this is the slow march towards the fall of someone you know so there, there is mm. that that style of pacing um, mm-hmm. that Tyler was talking about is like, again, I get the feeling in the scene one of the Kubrick movie, this is not going to end well. And <laughs> that plays itself out in a lot of different ways, depending on the yeah. movie, but uh, it pretty much always ends there. A couple specific moments that like, I think are just like nobody else could have done it this way is when you get that like really brief flashback to the sun on the horse when he falls off. Yeah. Um, it's just like perfectly shot and whatever, but the sound design there is terrifying. It's like, it's so short and the horse like whinnies, but it's like extended and there's reverb and it's just like really jarring. And then you just like mm-hmm. back to the kid. Um, that, that totally feels like something paced, like something out of the shining. You it know? feels like yeah. something from a nightmare, right? Like it feels yeah. like, like a, a nightmare flashback of, Totally. Someone that potentially saw it happen, you know? Yeah. Or like almost the kid's memory of how traumatic it was in the moment or yeah. something like that. And then the other one is when the, when, you know, spoiler alert for Barry Lyndon, when the kid, when the kid dies or like right before he dies, he Kubrick has this way of handling um, like death with lots of things, right? Like this is mm-hmm. like Stephen King's criticism of his adaptation of the shining was like, it's cold and clinical. It's not yeah. warm. Like the novel was. And there's some truth to that. Like, especially in, in, in moments, like I can't think of a director who another director who gets away with like a kid who's like, father, am I going to die? <laughs> <laughs> and the dad's like, no, you're not going to die. He's lying to his dying kid. And then yeah. like, if I die, am I going to go to heaven? 
Um, of course you'll go to heaven. And then almost smash cut as he's trying to like cheer his son up, choking tears <laughs> through the story to the freaking coffin. Like yeah, just boom, coffin with a kid in it. And I was like, wow. Like, I'm a, I'm so glad you brought that up because so the first time I saw the shining was for this podcast, you know, two weeks ago or whatever. And the whole time I, you know, I don't really know what happens, but I'm like, is, is Kubrick going to kill this little kid? Yeah. Like, is Kubrick the, the kind of guy that would kill an innocent little kid? And I was like, I think he might. I think yeah. he might. And then this movie answered him like, yeah, I was right. He would. That sadistic yeah. bastard. I know he didn't write the, mo- the story, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's just like, OK, yeah, Kubrick is the kind of guy that would kill this sweet. Little he could have changed it and saved him. He could have. Yeah. He did yeah. give that kid the 1700 version of Danny's haircut, though. Yeah. Just that, yeah. that whole cut. Just it's the only one he knows. In the back. Was that yeah. like maybe Stanley was not allowed that haircut growing up? <laughs> maybe. Yeah, so he's, he's like always living wanted. it out. Children. <laughs> what would you say is your biggest takeaway from this movie? If, if we haven't already covered this, well, what's your favorite moment and what was your biggest takeaway uh, from this movie? And let's uh, let's let's start back right back with Travis. Sure. Um, I mean, other than the fact that it looks great, which we've covered in, in a few different ways, um, I'm looking for like story and theme. And we, we always ask on our show, what's it saying? You know, and mm-hmm. Kubrick never says nothing. You know, there's right. he's way too good of a filmmaker to just be like, this is literally just pretty, but there is nothing there. There's a lot there. It's just in a three hour powdered wig package that <laughs> yeah. might, might not be your jam. Right. Um, <laughs> so uh, essentially, like, I, my biggest takeaway from this movie is his, his point of like depicting Barry as the absolute center of this universe is this is a story about like fathers and sons. You know what I mean? Like he loses his father in the opening scene. He spends the entire movie um, making other men in his life who come in in various ways into paternal figures. You know, this general there, the Chevalier, um, um, all of these men like specifically refer to him as my boy, which is just, yeah a colloquialism but but it it's also very specific you know i mean like kubrick didn't do that by accident so it's a story about fathers and sons and the loss thereof and and then we see barry grow into a father who is like so broken and um you know he's a good father they make a point to say he's a good father but then kubrick takes that from him yeah (laughs) yeah halfway fair enough but then kubrick takes that one thing like the one thing in the movie that he has that's real father son love companionship he just yanks it away from him and then and then barry's essentially like i feel like resigned to die at the end you know what i mean when he when he looks uh bullington uh, bullington um in the eyes and he says like yep i'm ready for him to fire his first shot it's kubrick telling us the viewer like there there is so much wrong with uh with with this guy you know because of like also it's like a a, a nature versus nurture thing and i feel like kubrick you know is not afraid to go there psychologically um Mm -hmm. so that that's that's like my biggest takeaway is like it's about fathers and sons it ends the same way it started with him leaving like getting in a carriage and going off to some new destination as just a broken man without a father. And that's not, it's, it's not like super fun. Uh, yeah. uh, that's what it is, you know? Yeah. That's um, I never thought of it. It was in the lens of a story about fathers and sons. Um, it's an interesting take. And I, I think I agree with you. I, I had more taken it more as just like uh, an opportunist and sort of like, <clears throat> you know, a story about karma, right? You know, here's like this guy, you know, he just took every opportunity that he could, whether it was like 
good, you know, quote, good or bad. Um, and he got essentially what he deserved in the end. And then, you know, there's also the commentary on like, you know, class struggles and, and sure. class divides and whether it's fair that he deserved what he got in his station. Like, you know, there's, there's all that sort of stuff around it. And I, and I think it's interesting the take you got from the duel at the end, because I didn't take it as so much as he was ready to die. I thought he took it as like, he had resigned himself to the fact that this was his fate and mm. almost like, almost like, you know, despite his best efforts, he couldn't outrun. He couldn't outrun his fate or his karma, right? Like he got everything he wanted, but there was this one little thing that came along in the package deal. That was this stepson that hates him that ends up killing him in the end. And I think he just was kind of like, Oh, God damn it. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I thought I took it more as resignation than acceptance, but it's, you know, that's one of the best things about cinema and, you know, art and, you know, stories like this is you can, you know, there's a, there's an argument to be made either way. No, but I think my favorite part was just, I loved uh, the chivalry of all the conflict, you know, like even the yeah. fist fight in the, in the army, you know, they form a square and there's rules and whatever. And then the duels they take, speaking again about the patience of Kubrick, like the, the, the slow rollout of these duels and just like how long it takes them to load their pistols and <laughs> how long it takes them to aim. And are you ready? And all these rules and all this like decorum. Uh, and then you juxtapose that with the like violent outburst that I mentioned at the piano recital. And because every other scene of violence we see has these like rules and this, like, you know, the, the, the chivalry of it all, uh, that that fist fight in the recital just was like shocking and striking yeah. and it's like whoa like you it's like gnarly, yeah you feel as like aghast as the people in that recital do and uh to me that was my favorite part of the movie I, you know it's a shame that uh a, a scene of domestic violence and abuse <laughs> uh is my favorite part of this movie but uh just the way that it was crafted and the way that we're set up to react that way i thought was was you know, pretty brilliant stuff from our, our guy Stanley. When he comes like when those doors open and he starts walking, he's like, oh fuck. He's yeah. just like, <laughs> like, I'm gonna go fuck with this guy right now in front of everybody. Yeah. <laughs> he's gonna watch this, like, oh, this is pretty cool. The fact that he's dragged his son into the prank, like his his biological mm -hmm. son, makes it worse because it's like, oh, you had him put the clopping shoes on. Yes. Don't you think he fits my shoes very well, your ladyship? Almost to shield yourself or make it worse or something. It's just, yeah, it is yeah. bad. Yeah. Like, and I, th I feel like he, out. yeah, he must like convince the kid, like, let's go have fun. Let's play yeah. a game. You know, daddy will he love know it. He's a total just like pawn in this like <laughs> yeah. thing that he's doing against his dad. Well, but. and that kid's the, you know, that kid is, he gets everything he wants. He, in his eyes, he's supposed to be the center of attention. So he's like, yeah, yeah I'll put the shoes on and make some yeah. noise. Like, sure. Dad's not going to do anything to me. <laughs> and he doesn't. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's been mentioned already. My favorite part they put down was the duel, like just the way, mm. like we talked about, like all the minutia, like everything that happens, which to me also just makes it so much more shocking and funny when the gun just fires, right? When he cocks yeah. it, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. I wasn't ready for this. Holy shit. And then they're like, oh, rules are rules. You fire this. So it's his turn. I'm like, oh my God, you know? And then speaking of the anti Hamilton, you know, Lyndon does throw away his shot. And I'm just like, all right, well, what's going to happen now? Like, what is he wanting out of this? Like, 
is he wanting Lord Bullington to be like, all right, I'm satisfied. I'll leave. You can say whatever, you know? So, but when he slowly starts shaking his head, it's like, Oh my God, he's going to shoot him. <laughs> like he wants to go again. This is, this is crazy to me. And, you know, brief shout out to screen drafts. Cause I now finally understand the Lord Bullington rule, how you can't <laughs> like answer twice until someone else answers. So I get that now. It's great. Um, <laughs> But I mean, and just briefly like to tap into my personal stuff, you know, we talked about Hitchcock and how great he is at editing. I am to be trivia says that this scene took 42 mm. days to edit, which blows my I mind. I can't oh even imagine. Gosh. That's crazy to me. I mean, if you think about all the takes that he probably did, you know, obviously there's like a ton to go through. But I'm like, man, if I had to spend a month and a half on just one scene of a movie, that would just drive me insane but whatever they did worked like i think it was it was wonderful so um i think yeah kind of obscure but what i took away from this is like well this is marty scorsese's favorite kubrick movie i saw that i why like i don't like and, and not like a judgmental thing but that's almost more like why i want to rewatch it it's like what what do i what am i missing here you know because again like we watched the apu trilogy because of Martin Scorsese mm -hmm. and I loved that. that that was great like I I feel like I got it you know it's like okay I understand why this is really good but when I watch this I'm like I get the the behind the scenes stuff the score the cinematography I understand all that but I'm like man I could I just don't know like on what you know level this becomes my favorite Kubrick movie like well, I don't know I don't know what I'd have to um see in it you know and like we talked about it Tyler with Lebowski like the first time you watch it, it's like I don't know if I got it exactly, yeah. you know, but now it's like, oh, this is like one of the funniest movies of all time. I don't think I don't think Barry Lyndon is like in that category, but we don't like, know yet. That's true. I don't know. That's why I just wonder, like, maybe there is something I could get out of a rewatch where like now I know what's going to happen and I can focus more on how it's happening. You know, I think that's one of the good things that we get out of a rewatch. So, um, yeah, I'm glad you compared this to the Apu trilogy because I think it's a very good comparison you know the apu trilogy can be a tough watch for some people it's in black mm -hmm. and white but it is uh very beautifully shot and we, and we talked about it at length on our episode um but like you know the characters there are all likable there's way less happens in the apu trilogy like way less <laughs> yeah, very slow <laughs> and it's 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 you know it moves at a glacial pace but i didn't i watched it all each movie i watched it in a full sitting Whereas this and they're I mean, they were long. They're two hours long. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I would say the big difference between this movie and the big Lebowski as far as um, a second watches. I wanted to watch the big Lebowski a second time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I get that. Like when I when I paused it yesterday because um, we were getting up to do something. Ashley's like, you don't have to pause. It. I was like, I don't. I think I want to actually. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm OK pausing yeah. right now. I think I need to step away from this. Like, I don't hate it, but I'm just like. I don't know. It's been an hour and 15 minutes. Like I, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm okay. The only other thing I wanted to bring up really quickly, since I had the trivia pulled up, did you guys see about like why Warner brothers would finance this movie? Yeah. I thought that was crazy. It's like they, they told Kubrick that he had to cast someone that was a top 10 box office star from the year before. And the year before Ryan O'Neill had been in um, love story. So he was like the number two earner um, behind Clint Eastwood. And then the other people on the list are awesome. Like Steve McQueen. I love Burt Reynolds, Robert Redford, Barbara <laughs> Streisand, Paul Newman, 
Charles Bronson, John Wayne, and Marlon Brando, and Ryan O'Neill's just in this group. Oh, you know, it's yeah. crazy <laughs> to think about, like, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's I, like the. It's like that, that one crazy. random year that Isaiah Thomas was in MVP time. I was just going to say, like, is this, is this the Sam Bowie pick? You <laughs> yeah. know, when, like, Jordan's there. You're like, oh, I want Sam Bowie. I'll take him. Like, all right. Like, okay. If you want that, you know. But they said, like, with the age stuff, it really would have come down to Ryan O'Neill and Robert Redford. I'm like, man. I, I just like think about this movie now with Robert Redford and it's like, it's weird just what the presence of one actor could do. Cause I feel like, yeah, I want to see that movie. I want to see mm. Robert Redford in this. Like, I know obviously like it, it probably wouldn't work, you know, just with like the, the accent that probably would have been awful, <laughs> but I don't know. It's just interesting to think about like why this person got cast in this and what, what could have been, you know, although what it could have should have of it. <laughs> yeah. I think isn't Ryan O'Neill. He's an American dude, right? I think so. Yeah. I think it's like they are of like Irish heritage, both him and Redford. Like they have the same background. So they both would have qualified, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Born Los Angeles, 1941, April 20, 420, 1941. There you go. Shout out. Yeah. Shout out. Um, I mean, my biggest takeaway, I mean, if we're going to talk about the last duel scene, I mean, we got to talk about the throw up, right? It was one of the best oh, throw up yeah. scenes of all time. <laughs> yeah. Solid. F- find me a better throw up scene. Maybe Wayne's <laughs> World, maybe. I don't know. Um, no, my, my big takeaway is that uh, for me, this is a very experiential movie. I almost felt like there, there were scenes during the movie where I just felt like I was like strapped into a ride at like Epcot going through this like story uh, for three hours just by the way that like it, it's shot for the most part at a level that you're just an observer of what's going on. Um, you're, you're not often up in people's faces, but then like what he's doing at the lighting felt very much like a Disney ride that you're just kind of like moving along and seeing like the candlelight against, against people, which is, which is very pleasing to look at. Um, so it's, this isn't a ride you necessarily want to be on, stuck on for three hours at, at Disneyland, but <laughs> yeah. it, it kind of has that quality to it. It's um, no but Pirates I, of the Caribbean. Yeah, right. It's uh, definitely not that exciting. Do not do not get on this ride. <laughs> so you're saying this is like uh, it's a small world after all. This is the equivalent of. Yeah, it's, it's like a mixture of it's a small world and pirates. But even still, like way more boring pirates, but all the all the animatronics are broken. And this is a three hour ride. (laughs) Um, It's when you're going from scene to scene in pirates. It's just like that part of it. That's what everything without the animatronics. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I did like I really did love the painterly quality of it. I love that pretty much you could pause at any point in this movie and you have a painting that you could comfortably hang on your wall. Yeah. Um, it is just like so beautifully shot. It kind of reminded me like, and I use this analogy in my letterbox review, but it's as if you took like a, a coffee table book from the era uh, or of the era at your grandma's house, gave it a narrative and made a movie about it. And that's what this movie is Yeah, because it just seems like you're turning the page on these different things. Like, Oh, this is what the military looked like then. Oh, this is what the aristocracy looked like during this time. And so um, it's very much an experience. Um, is that was my big takeaway? Um, as far as like merit in watching it. Um, so I guess, uh, to, to finish off questions, um, before we get into a, a potential Rushmore question, 
is is there a demand for this type of movie today and what era would would garner that type of interest and who would be the filmmaker uh ben what do you think uh i think we've all kind of hinted at it i just feel like the answer is um this movie i don't know that many series were really being done at the time you know like i looked up lonesome dove and that was in 89 that's the first one i remember hearing about you know as a as a kid like oh this is a mini series or whatever now with the way streaming and the services and all that stuff is going i think it could easily be um yeah a mini series a limited series and this also goes back to what we talked about back with the Malcolm X, you know, like I, I think that movie needs to exist. I love that movie. I just would also love a mini series of Malcolm X where they just go through each part of his life. And I think you could do that here with Barry Lyndon, like just break this up. Give me like a, a six or eight you know, piece series and let's just like dive more into them swindling people, you know, like when they're doing the, the gambling and stuff like that or his time in the war or you know, like when they when they pull the bait and switch of, you know, we're gonna, the guy's going to go to his carriage and we're going to send him to the front line or whatever it was, yeah. you know, but mm-hmm. uh, we just like cut right to the scene and we just all of a sudden Barry's there and he's pretending to be him. Like, I kind of would like to see them. How's this going to work? You know, how'd they get that guy out of there? That kind of a thing. So um, I don't know. I would just I would love to to see <laughs> it expanded, I guess, a little bit more, which sounds weird because like it's. And I guess it's how it goes, right? Like, yeah. I don't want to watch a three-hour movie, but I'll watch 20 episodes of The Office in a row. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, three-hour movie, get out of here. That's kind of how I feel about this, which is like, I don't, if it was like broken into segments, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more because we also could just like dive deeper into it. Again, like, it's what everybody said. This isn't some stroke of genius answer or anything. I'm like, I just, just flesh it out more or make it shorter, one or the other. But mm-hmm. the three hours that we got was just like, I don't know. I didn't love it. Um, As far as like who, like who would be the filmmaker? I mean, I really, I don't know. I have no idea who would handle something like this. Like I don't watch the crown, but in my mind, it's like, I don't know whoever those directors are, give them this. Cause obviously like I don't watch it, but I know it's very well received and I feel like they would do it justice, you know? So give it to those people or game of Thrones, you know, like like Tyler said, like those guys understand building an era and like a well a do time, they that kind of thing i don't I know do like, they not well I, I, once their source material was gone i felt like it fell apart but well i, I mean yeah without a <laughs> doubt but like as, as much of it as it may have sucked like you realize like oh yeah these dragons are burning this town down i get it you know like as far as the actual locations and that kind of a thing but yeah, I don't want them to write the Barry Lyndon movie, but whoever's directing it and doing the production design, bring all those people on because I think they're they're good at what they do. Yeah, um, sure. But yeah, I just, I want the the mini series basically. I think The Crown is probably the best uh, <clears throat> comparison because I think I'm like three seasons into The Crown, and like to be honest, not much happens, but mm-hmm. I'm like constant like always transfixed like the way that they the dialogue is just so well written and the pacing of it and i don't know it's just it's really well done and it's like if i think about the difference between the crown and barry linden it's like i'm sorry stanley but i kind of just wish that this was the crown you know what i mean like (laughs) i i I, I had said earlier like i wish it was lord of the rings which is i is also true but if we're gonna make this thing a series like i don't know I, i remember the first episode of the crown um John Lithgow has a speech as Winston Churchill that like, like not even hyperbole, like it brought me to tears. Like it was just so 
the speech, I think it was just the fact that the speech actually happened, you know, it was mm. the actual words and just in the context and everything and seeing it, like it was like overwhelming to me. Um, and so, you know, Barry Lyndon just feels like, <clears throat> despite all of its achievements is like, I don't know, like, and granted it was 1975 and I f- even feel bad saying it, but it almost seemed like a missed, it missed the boat a little bit, you know, like, yeah, it just, that, and, you know, like I said, we're however many years into the future now. And, <laughs> you know, it's, they've, it's, it's easier to do now, I guess. I don't, I don't really know. We have movies like Barry Lyndon to build on. So I don't know whether or not we want this sort of stuff. I'm not too sure. Like if we were to make a series, I think I'd rather see like the Napoleon story that Kubrick wanted to do. I'd like oh, to yeah. see maybe something like awesome. that fleshed out as a mult, as a mult, like a mini series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just like, like how in, they in a darker that. vein of Game of Thrones. They dropped that because it, the uh, the Waterloo movie didn't do well, and so yeah. why yeah. did they think that this was going to do well? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like oh, let's take a story that no one's heard. Like, of. Let, let's not do Napoleon. <laughs> let's do this other one. Yes, some random Irish guy. So yeah, I don't know. And who would make it? I don't. I don't know. Whoever Netflix thinks is worthy of doing it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Travis? Well, I think it's like the wild west for like movies right now, right? Like Netflix just throws money at everything, Mm -hmm. but demand. um, I I don't see a lot of three hour bummer, um, (laughs) you know, character studies these days. I don't think people's attention spans are that are that awesome. Yeah. But I will say like from a story perspective, I think people people do like this story. Like I've I've uh, admired for years and years breaking bad right yeah. and like mm-hmm. you're goddamn right the debate the general arc of the character is like the same i mean like sure. it's a guy it's a who's comparison. desperate to, to get something uh and then he figures out ways to do it and then he seeks after power to his own detriment and to the detriment of those around him and he ends up in his you know, wallowing in his own blood essentially like it's the yeah. same this like tragic arc for a for an anti-hero um, so I, I do think people are attracted to like what it's saying, you know, the themes and stuff about class and about power. And I think he does sneak some stuff in here about war. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Like Stanley Kubrick, not a fan. If you didn't uh, figure that <laughs> out, with this other stuff, right? <laughs> but like, but he left in the narration part, which I'm sure is probably lifted from the novel. It's well to dream of war in a snug armchair at home, but it is a very different thing to see it firsthand. So, like, that's a real specific choice. Hmm. There's a lot of anti-war sentiment we- yeah. woven throughout. Um, so, story-wise, yeah, I don't know about like the 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 package. I don't know about a three-hour, even if it's beautiful looking. Uh, you know, at times overacted, you know, package. I'm not mm-hmm. sure, not sure modern audiences would be drawn like a moth to a flame to that, but maybe mini series, you know, mini series or, or season, a uh, few seasons of a TV show or something. Yeah. And I just want to say real quick, like you, you reminded me of something I thought about was I remember in my screenwriting class, they were always trying to take out anybody that had like voiceover narration in their script. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like something I noticed whenever it happens in a movie is like, do we need this here? And I think yeah. it actually worked really well in this movie. Like, I think it, it made sense, you know, so, you know, put this up there with wonder years is like the two times <laughs> that it's made sense, you know, it's been good, <laughs> but like, I liked it. And like you said, like coming from the source material, it's nice. Like we, we talked last week about 
um or two weeks ago but like the the source material versus like a book versus a movie and this was yeah. a good way i think for him to have both you know he can yeah. still reference the source material and tell us the inner dialogue which you don't get to do in a movie just through the actor you know like you don't get to hear all that but with this you get to hear his thoughts on war and that kind of a thing so I think it worked really well. I feel like pretty particular about that when it happens in this, it, it worked for me in that sense. It, it, he gets away with it. Cause it's like so literary feeling like the yes. chapters, the parts, the voiceover and the aesthetic, they all really like, they, they do go together. There's, that's the thing about a Kubrick movie. There's like, no, even those three hours, it's not like, well, this scene was completely useless. There's really yeah. none. There's really none of that. It's just like, <laughs> did you dig it or did you not dig it? You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I and I'm just gonna echo everybody. Like this needed to be a movie series, um, or yeah, TV series. Um, but uh, obviously, a must see if you're trying to check off Stanley Kubrick's filmography. Stumbling over my words now <laughs> means it should be time to wrap up. <laughs> um, but uh, I I was just thinking about the the way that he approached this project um, with the natural light and trying to be true to his devotion to the era, um, to his craft. I feel like, uh, an up and coming who I would like to see do a project, maybe not a three hour period piece, but, uh, Chloe Zhao and what mm. she's been putting out. Yeah. Talk um, about natural lighting man. like she would, she would kill that. Yeah. I, that's what I was, I was hearing something about the Eternals and how they're just like blown away by what she was doing. Yeah, she like actually wanted to go to a beach and get an actual sunset. Like, wait, <laughs> what? Like, we we can just do that on the computer. Right what, are you, <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? All this money on it. We have this giant green wall. That's what it's for. <laughs> What's a beach? Yeah. 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 I don't know what that is. Uh, as many of you know, we like to uh, do something of a exercise where we we select four choices for a Rushmore Mountain. I don't know if we want to do a period piece Rushmore, a lover boy Rushmore. Um, I, I thought of the lover boy idea at the beginning of this movie. He wasn't so much of a lover boy by the end of this movie. Um, but I think period piece would be yeah, kind of cool. I'm happy to go first. If uh, yeah, please people do. need I'm, to build their list or I'm whatever. I'm still making my list right now. <laughs> These are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? this is unexpected as like we've discussed on here i'm i'm not pro crow at all but i, I am gonna put going. american gangster on here because wow. i think it's it's a good period piece movie it made me feel like it was shot back then and you know i mean denzel could do them wrong we've already talked about him quite a bit mm. so i think american gangster would make mine um i love atonement um, if you know, for nothing else other than that one or, you know, that long, like, I think it's like 10 or 11 minute take, you know, through the, actually the beach of Dunkirk. So that's kind of cool. Um, James McAvoy, Saoirse Ronan, and is it Keira Knightley? I forget who else is in that, but it's a really good movie. I know it sounds like I love it, but it's really good. So you should check that out. <laughs> um, a little tease into our next round, but a legitimate answer is Lincoln. Um, cause I kind of felt like, you know, I'm watching that. I was like, man, did Spielberg get like a time machine and go back and just like film all this? Cause this is like crazy. Like it was, I don't know. I thought he did a, a great job with that. Um, and then kind of going back and forth between a couple, but I want to just throw out the favorite. Um, I think that was a, a great movie. Did you just look at me? 
Did you? Look at me. Look at me. How dare you? Close your eyes. Just from a couple of years ago with Olivia Coleman and uh, Emma. I, I can't think of her name. Stone. What's up? Emma Stone. Yeah, Emma Stone. Thank you. I was talking about Emma Watson earlier with the <laughs> 15 minutes of Marvel guys. I was like, that's not her. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, the, I mean, that movie is is really good. So I highly recommend that if you haven't seen the favorite. Um, uh, yeah. So those would be my four American Gangster Atonement, Lincoln and the favorite. Fantastic. Uh, Travis, do you have four ready to go? Because I do not. I'm glitching. I feel like a okay. little bit. I can hear things now. Cool. Hello. <laughs> okay um oh gosh i'm flying by the absolute seat of my pants here um i'll i'll stick with true grit for my western Ooh, nice. um that's Great. just i'll i'll stay with that one um i was thinking about a scorsese and like i mean raging bull because of its like you know perfect like use of black and white and everything i feel mm -hmm. like is is pretty <laughs> solid um i'm supposed to have four right uh what else is good um period piece it's hard because some of the old movies i like that are current day i like it's not a period piece but like we just watched the great dictator on our show and it's mm -hmm. like i don't know anything that encapsulates the beginning of the 40s right when world war ii was like catching fire everywhere yeah um, that like works so well as a time capsule of a time period that might be a cheat um, we'll take it yeah and then let's see the fourth one uh another period piece Let's use the future. Star Wars. There you go. <laughs> yeah. There we go. <laughs> I like that a lot. Or it's, the past. Yes. yes. Not yes. an answer I would have thought of. I That's, love it. Yeah, a long time ago in the galaxy far away. Fair enough. <laughs> Beautiful. Matt, do you have four ready to go? Um I can get there if we need to. I'm debating on my fourth. Just whoever gets there first can All right. jump <laughs> in. Well, I'll go ahead and start then. Right. I uh with the caveat that you know, I literally didn't know we were doing this until Matt brought it up. <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> off the top of my head and going through this list here, this one actually surprised me that it was on here because I don't think of it as a period piece, but it totally makes sense. But Apollo 13, one of my all time yeah. favorites, uh, a constant rewatch for me. Uh, it looks like the 50s. Uh, so I'll give, you know, <laughs> or the 60s, not the 50s. Uh, anyways, Apollo 13. Um, and then a personal favorite, which is funny to say, considering I could never remember the name of this movie, but I saw it on this list and it reminded me, but a very long engagement with Audrey mm. Tattoo. I don't know if you guys have seen that. The same director that did Amelie. Uh, and obviously she's also in Amelie. Oh, yeah. uh, it's really, really good. It's about a woman whose uh, partner goes off to war and, uh, you know, they're engaged and it's a very long engagement. Very good stuff. Um, and then. Uh, I know Travis is a fan of this one, uh, but Jojo Rabbit I saw on this list, and uh, mm -hmm. I think I'm going to put it there at number three. And for number four, there's a number on this list that I think I could make the art. I'm honestly trying to pick, like, I'm like, there's a couple on here that I've already picked for other, uh, <laughs> other lists, so I don't want to like be, you know, repeat myself too much. Um, I'm going to put Argo on here. It's a movie that we haven't talked about um, uh -huh. on the pod very much at all. Um, I've only seen it once, but I really enjoyed it. And a lot of fun is, is good stuff from our boy Ben Affleck. So, yeah, I'll throw Argo mm -hmm. on there. Why not? I think that's awesome. That that makes me think of like, you know, sometimes you 
come across stuff on Twitter that makes you like realize how old you are. Yeah. And I, I saw something the other day. It's like when we were watching movies in the 90s about the 60s, it's like watching a movie right now about the 90s. And I was just like, oh, oh my God, like, <laughs> you know, it's that Saving Private Ryan gif of like Matt Damon turning old. Like, yeah. oh, what's happening? But um, if I if I had an honorable mention, it would be mid 90s, a Jonah Hill movie. Oh, because, yeah. Because like as someone who grew up in that time frame, like, you know, for the brief moment that I tried to like want to skateboard, you know, with my Ninja Turtles, like skateboarding California. I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, this looks like super familiar. I like this a lot. Like. Um, I mean, the movie's great. Movie's a lot of fun, but it just like it really, you know, the nostalgia really hit me. So I, w- I would recommend mid '90s too if you haven't seen that and you are a child of the '90s. What about that was a great one? And maybe this is going to be on someone's list. I guess we're almost done with our list here. But what about like Back to the Future? We almost get like a number of period pieces inside of a period piece. That's true. I thought about that. And um, yeah, that's- what's the other one? That thing you do. That one's super fun. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a lot so. of great ones. It's this was a kind of a weird list for me because I'm like, I don't Matt, know. You better not use any of those. I want four <laughs> new ones. I'm the, I, I've, been, I've been updating my list as you guys been saying. Uh, let's talk about to the all of the period pieces <laughs> before he can go. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I had one written down, but I love that thing you do more than what I wrote down. So mm. I'm using that thing you do. Nice. Cool. I love that thing you do. The Oneidas. <laughs> That's wonders. I could watch that right now and I could watch it again tomorrow morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Selma. Yeah. It's really awesome. Um, Jojo Rabbit, you know, Mm -hmm. got brought up earlier today and Tyler just brought it up again. And uh, oh, yeah, I'd I'd written down True Grid as well. Nice. Cool. I like it. So and mixed nuts. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, mixed nuts. <laughs> Period piece. I mean, yeah. <laughs> hey, Los Angeles, 1995. No. Does is no does no country for old men count as a period piece? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. The that, haircut alone. The haircut alone qualifies. Yeah. That, <laughs> I that one might actually replace Argo. Cause yeah. I like No Country for Old Men's one of my all-time favorites. So uh I'll I'll leave Argo in because I don't know the next time we'll talk about it on the pod. Want to hear a funny story about No Country real quick? More than anything. Okay. I was in a theater seeing No Country for Old Men on opening weekend. And I'm not going to tell you what time period it is because it will mess up the end of the story. We get to the end of of No Country for Old Men and, you know, they they made a specific choice. No music in the whole movie, Mm -hmm. right? There's no music in No Country. And then Tommy Lee Jones is saying his last monologue and he says like this beautiful, poetic metaphor of the dream that he had it represents his father and then it's like and then he says and then i woke up and it cuts to credits and that's the first time you hear like i think some kind of music yeah. i literally heard someone two rows in front of me go we should have seen hitman and I was like, <laughs> oh my god that's when i knew like beautiful. i need to get out of here <laughs> i love it that should have been your story for best uh movie experience that's a good one <laughs> you, just about it until you said that no country was good which it is yeah i can't think of the great movie without thinking of that dumb dumb two rows in front of me like, oh that's great i that's love funny. it i like that <laughs> Yeah, he probably should have seen Hitman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he probably had a horrible time if he yeah. wanted to go see Hitman yeah. instead. <laughs> well, thanks, Travis, for coming on with us. Um, we just wanted to give you one last opportunity to promote your pod real quick. 
Yes. Thank you so much. This was a, this was a blast. I feel like I've known you for years somehow. Um, <laughs> Mixed nuts, uh, baby. Yeah. Kindred spirits. <laughs> we'll do that. Nuts. If we, if two people in the world, they like mix nuts somehow. Then I can't I don't believe know. that. Happened. We need to yeah. start a mixed nuts exclusive podcast. <laughs> I would do that. I, hope I, I can come on sometime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we do one minute of the movie every week. Oh yeah. Whenever you get to the Sandler song moment, please. Yeah. Have yeah. Yeah. So please check out, let the movie speak. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's not all that crazy different from this show. It's laid back, but with a little bit of structure and, uh, me and my buddy, Justin do not take ourselves too seriously and hopefully get you interested in something that you might not have seen before. Um, so we're on Twitter, Instagram and all the things, um, L- hashtag LTMS pod. I guess I have to say that too, even though I feel like a doofus, but that's part of it. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, we'll get all, all that stuff in here too. Do you guys like, can you give people an idea of what's coming up on you guys? Is on, you're on season two now, right? Yeah. Some, some notable ones and some kind of out of left field picks. And we hope the mix is, is better than just going like Casablanca, you know, and everything <laughs> you've heard of, you know, maybe you heard reviewed several times before. So that's hey, what's coming up. One of my favorite movies just got referenced. We can wrap up the pod now. <laughs> hey, all right, we did it. Ferris and Casablanca. <laughs> that. That's it. That's great. <laughs> we it was, did it. It worked. We did it. We can close it now. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, for sure. Check check out um, Travis and Let the Movie Speak podcast. You can always find us everywhere that you can find podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, um, Apple, Apple Podcasts. And check us out on our Patreon. We've got some Patreon packages that we put together. We do a lot of fun uh, community movie watch parties. Uh, we try to get as bit. We try to get everyone involved in this movie club as we possibly can. We care about what you think. We want to hear your reviews. We want you to message us. We want to talk about movies with literally everybody. Um, so join the community. Uh, send us a note. You know, we'll, we'll respond. Tyler responds to hate mail. So mm-hmm. love it. Send the hate mail. To him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next time. See ya. anything about the things coming out of your nose. (laughs) Oh, so many things for me to wonder.